at a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions. We need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a mindful moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. The first place I want to visit is an independent <laughs> bookstore. <laughs> and then I give them all my money. <laughs> then I go about my way. Relatable. Were you talking about relatable? <laughs> hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 188. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we get to today's guest, I wanted to share this email from What Should I Read Next listener, Mary Kay. Hi, Anne. I listened to all your What Should I Read Next episodes, but one in particular called to my heart, episode 148 with Laura Summerhill. Laura spoke of being a volunteer for the Texas Women's Storybook Project, a nonprofit organization that connects children with their incarcerated moms through literature. Hearing her speak of going into the prison and letting the mothers choose books for their children and then read and record the stories for them inspired me to look into a similar project here in Wyoming. Well, that episode was August 2018, and now I can officially say that we are ready to launch Everyone Has a Story Project here in Wyoming. We are starting small with a pilot program at a women's prison here. Thanks so much. You just never know how your podcast will impact someone and ripple on to others' lives. Mary Kay, that is wonderful. Thank you so much for that email. And I'm so happy to hear that the stories about the impact of books and reading shared on this podcast are making a difference in your community. Readers, if you are in Wyoming, get connected with the Everyone Has a Story project. And if you want to go back and listen to Laura's episode, and I hope you do, it's such a delight. That is episode 148 called Rebuilding Your Life and Your Library. Readers, I have exciting news. One Great Book returns with volume two this Friday. Join me as each week I pull one standout selection from my personal bookshelves and share just enough of the enticing details to encourage you to move one of these older gems from your TBR to your nightstand. On What Should I Read Next, readers tell me three books they love. On One Great Book, I'm telling you about one book I love in 10 minutes or less. Subscribe to One Great Book wherever you're listening to this episode and mark your calendars for this Friday. In our last episode, we met Hannah Christmas, a reader with a long-term dream of running a children's bookshop. Today, we meet Michelle Moreno, who I hope will inspire Hannah and anyone else out there who wants to make their bookstore dreams a reality. I got to talk to Michelle right after her very first pop-up shop while she was still on the high of her first time putting books directly into the hands of her community. We're discussing the books she chose for her first foray into hand-selling, the connection she finds between reading and plant care and obsession the two of us share, and the moment she found her identity on a bookshelf. Let's get to it. Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk books today. And also, weirdly, I'm excited to talk plants today. That's not something I get to say very often. Yeah, I can talk about plants maybe even more than I can talk about books sometimes. <laughs> well, on this literary podcast, let's start there. Michelle, would you tell me about your plant life? 
oh my gosh, my plant life consumes most of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm intrigued. Keep going. So I have an outdoor garden. I love to grow different flowers, herbs, and different plants that I feel a connection to spiritually. And I also love to grow plants inside of my house. Basically, having a relationship with plants has become a form of self-care for me, where taking care of a plant helps me to be aware of this other living thing and how I can make the environment, its conditions, optimal for it to continue to grow. And then that somehow, for me, transfers into my own care and how do I make my own life conditions optimal for me to grow. Oh, that's so interesting. I really like it. Now, I've always loved a good houseplant. I am a writer and a podcaster, and I make things that you cannot hold in your hands except for those books that come out very infrequently. Someone pointed out to me that it's a long-established literary tradition, that after writing for a while, you got to do something with your hands, like Mm -hmm. garden or start tending sheep, and I'm being serious here, or take up knitting, or in my case, like buying out all the houseplants at Home Depot and some at the (laughs) local plant store every time you go, because there's an actual physical thing that you can fuss over that doesn't just vanish when you turn your back on it. And you also work with something very intangible. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's probably why I got involved with plants is my work as a psychotherapist is also very intangible and it doesn't ever really end, you know? Right, right, right. (laughs) You know, people keep going and they keep living their lives. And so there isn't this sense of like completion always, even though in the therapeutic relationship, you might reach a point of, you know, ending the relationship and getting closure. But the things that people are dealing with and the different emotional states that we go through are ongoing all the time for as long as we're alive. And so I think, like you just said around writing, to be able to have something tangible in front of me that I can just physically make changes with, it feels really satisfying. Being able to grow something and see it like go from like a seed to this big plant, and then maybe you get new seeds from that flower, and then you keep it going. And there's this like generational thing of life and death and I feel like it puts life into perspective for me in a way that very little else does for me. I am hypothesizing based on the dream you mentioned in your submission form, which by the way, Brenna copied and pasted and sent to me with multiple exclamation points. (laughs) It makes me think that you're passionate about bringing books and plants into other people's lives as well. Yes. I turned 40 and I decided that it was time for me to do my things, I guess. Like I've, I went to college, I've done all of the things that I was supposed to do, I guess, when I was younger, what I was told I was supposed to do. And then Mm -hmm. I hit 40 and I was like, but what do I really want to do? And what am I passionate about? And I realized that the things that I'm passionate about, aside from my work as a therapist and helping people to heal and to grow, is I love to talk about books and I love to talk about plants. And so I decided to combine them together and open a book and plant store that really focuses on helping people to grow by having books that reflect who they are and where we come from. So that I think when we have that sense of who we are and our history and maybe where we're going and getting those ideas, it helps us to grow in a different way because it kind of gives us context for our lives. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing with plants, it gives us something tangible to work with that helps us to maybe also feel accomplished. I love when people who maybe felt like they had a black thumb, and by the way, I don't think that anyone has a black thumb. I think you just haven't learned how to take care of your plant yet, but it's just an ongoing process. And so when people learn how to do that, 
I love the excitement that they have in that and the growth that they experience. Like I grew something Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then it's like that internal growth. And then as part of that, I also want to create community events where we can kind of come together and share in our knowledge and put into practice all of these different things that we learn about how to take care of ourselves and how to take care of our community. What have you learned so far that's really surprised you about books or plants or the selling thereof? I think the thing that I've really learned is to just trust myself to do something that I don't necessarily know everything about. I haven't read every book, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I can't sell them. <laughs> you know, that doesn't mean I can't, I can't pick out a good book for someone else or know what people might want to read, even if I haven't read every book that exists. And the same thing with plants. I haven't grown every single plant. My garden is not the biggest garden in my city, but that doesn't mean I don't know something. Even with opening a store, I, I didn't know exactly what I was getting myself into. And part of the process has just been to trust myself to say, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have all of the answers and you don't have to know all of the solutions to all of the potential problems before they've even happened. You start and then you figure it out. And mm-hmm. there are people to help along the way. And trusting that I also have those resources inside of me and then in my community that are going to help me get there. Mm-hmm. How soon can I come visit? <laughs> you know, we are starting off as a pop-up shop. So um, I just had my first one a couple weeks ago and I have another one coming up in about two weeks. Tell me about your first event. So a pop-up shop, you know, this one, I did it with an organizer here in my town called Mercado Vida. Um, it translates to like life market uh-huh. uh, in English. They put together a big group of Latino, Latinx vendors. And so they have this event and then people can come. And so they're not just coming for my pop-up, they're coming for all the different pop-ups that might Mm -hmm. be there. So there's t-shirts and there's custom-made mugs and there's cookies. It's, I mean, a whole range of products. And so it's almost like this like mini market mall all happening. And so I have a six-foot table. And on that table, I have my books and my plants. And so I'm, I'm limited in what I can keep in inventory because it has to fit on a six foot table. But it also helps me to really create a very curated list of books and books that I feel really passionate about putting into people's hands. And that's what I love is like when people come to the table and they say like, I have a child and I want them to learn about our history or about different things. And I might have a book for that. Or, you know, I had someone at the last one, she came um, and she said that she really loved sci-fi, but she was discouraged because she felt like all of the sci-fi she had read, none of them had had people of color in them. And so I was able to talk to her about like Octavia Butler and say, you know, there are sci-fi writers of color out there. And the excitement on her face (laughs) when I said that it was, it's priceless to just see people be able to connect with things that make them feel good. I love it. I love the idea of you deliberating what goes on my six foot table. (laughs) Yes. I just did an order and it just delivered today. Five times a day, every day for about two weeks, I am online looking at my cart, reviewing the books, researching them. Then I go on social media (laughs) and I see books that people are posting. And then I add that to my cart and then I go back to my cart again and I look at it and I say, okay, what do I need to like filter out? Because I can't have all of these. 
that happens for like two weeks. I'm doing that almost every day until I finally come up with the list. And then even after it happens, like I just got a delivery today and I was unpacking everything and I was super excited by them. And then I was like, wait, but I think I need more. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure that after this, I'm going to go back and I'm going to add some more books to my my cart because they'll get here before my next pop-up. So I'm sure choosing three and only three books you love was just a total breeze. It is really hard. And I feel like I have favorites for different themes, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm in the mood for maybe just like a really good story, I might have some favorites. If I'm in the mood for like nonfiction, I might have some favorites. And so trying to pick three that felt like they encapsulated my reading life so far or at this moment, I guess it was hard. So we're catching you at a moment where you're thinking not just about your own reading life, but you are thinking, I would imagine now more than ever, about other people's reading lives and what difference you might make in them. And you might not even know these people now. Has that changed the way that you read? I feel like lately I have been reading a little bit more of like new releases for that reason, because there are a lot of new books that are coming out. I just listened to your episode with Lamar Giles, Mm -hmm. the talk about we need diverse books. I mean, there's so many good books that are coming out. I wish I had like four brains that could read (laughs) four books at one time. Oh, me too. (laughs) Yeah. So it has changed my reading life just a little bit, but I am very clear in some ways about what I like and what I don't like. And so for books that are not really in my wheelhouse, I just try to read as much as I can about what other people have said about Mm -hmm. them so that I get a sense of it. Michelle, if you're ready to get to it, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you're reading now, and we will talk about what you may enjoy reading next. Okay. Did you land on one of these immediately? Yes, I would say probably there was one that it's kind of like that book that you read and then you're sort of chasing that feeling with all the other books that you read. (laughs) Tell me about it. So for me, that's Caramello by Sandra Cisneros. Uh I've not read this. I've only read probably like so many. I've read The House on Mango Street, Mm -hmm. but that's all by Cisneros. I don't know exactly when it came out. I want to say in the 90s. So it's not a brand new book for her, but it's a multi-generational story. It starts with a young woman whose family has immigrated from Mexico and they go back to visit. And along the way, there's like stories that she gets from her family that go back maybe two or three generations. I love those intergenerational stories. In this particular book, I related so much to it personally in terms of like, I'm a Chicana. My family is from Mexico and immigrated here. So I was the first generation born in the U.S. And I feel like so much of being the child of an immigrant is not knowing exactly where you come from. Like, you know where you come from in these bits and pieces that come in stories. And I feel like this book really captures that really well. I love the the sort of like long spanning. It's a very long book. I think it's like 400 pages or more. But for me, it just sort of like, I just love hearing all of these stories and piecing together a family history. Piecing together a family history. I love the way you put that. Mm-hmm. A read-alike for me would be like, Before We Visit the Goddess, I think is like a shorter version of that. And that's why I love that book too, because it's kind of similar in that same sense. But I think Before We Visit the Goddess was a little bit more condensed. Well, I loved Before We Visit the Goddess by Chitra Banerjee Devaka Rooney. So if this is a read-alike, then yes, I think I need to bump it up my list. Michelle, what did you choose for your next favorite? I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, a YA novel. The protagonist's older sister dies and she seems so perfect, 
the perfect Mexican daughter. And so the protagonist is sort of learning about her sister post-death. I like that it really goes into the pressures of being the child of an immigrant family, pressures that she feels at home, and then also the pressures that she feels maybe in the outside world growing up. And I think it takes place in Chicago. I also really like that it touches on mental health issues, but in a way that I think is sensitive and understands the complexities of them. I don't always like YA, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, but, <laughs> but this is one of the YAs that I felt like it was done well, and I really enjoyed it. How important is it to you for your books to really feel relatable? Some readers love this, and some readers, they don't care so much. I like all of it. I like being able to read books that take me into other people's experiences. And I also really love being able to see that image of myself and to watch someone else work through some of the things that maybe I've worked through. It's a very validating experience for me. When you're the child of an immigrant, so much of the world around you doesn't always feel relatable. Like when I watch a lot of teen movies, like they could be fun and I laugh, but in a lot of ways, I don't relate to them because that wasn't my upbringing and that wasn't what my household was like. And um, that's not what my parents were like. And so sometimes when I watch things like that or I read things that are really far away from me in that way, it can be interesting, but it just feels really nice to find a place that feels a little bit more like home. It's a little bit more of a comfort, I guess. Mm -hmm. Michelle, I really love the way you described that, that feeling of being validated by the books we read. Mm -hmm. What did you choose for your final favorite? I picked a nonfiction. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass. And it's essays on indigenous wisdom, scientific knowledge, and teachings of plants. I love this book because it is just this very natural blend of science and spirituality and indigenous teachings. I feel like as a scientist, she's kind of approaching things with a certain way, but then as an indigenous woman, she's also bringing in her culture. And for me, again, that goes back to my own identity as a Chicana. Being of Mexican descent means that for the most part, not always, but for the most part, you have ancestry that is both European and indigenous. Because of the process of colonization, we lose touch with our indigenous ancestry. And so for me, part of my journey as an adult and coming into my own identity is also trying to piece together some of that history that was kept from me because of colonization. And so being able to read indigenous writers helps me to connect with that. And I think similarly to like what I said earlier about immigration, you lose a part of your identity when your family immigrates because you're not in your ancestral home or your ancestral land. That's the wound of colonization as well, is that that indigenous ancestry gets pushed aside. For me, part of my healing comes from uncovering all of these stories and uncovering these ways of knowing things that were lost to me through colonization and through immigration. I have not yet read Braiding Sweetgrass. It's on my nightstand right now, though. So I feel like this is a sign. It's interesting, the way you're describing the book, it sounds like not only is the book itself illuminating, but that it's helping you see the world around you and your experience with fresh eyes. Yes, absolutely. And I think she she has integrated the two so well, even if you're not Indigenous or that's not you know your own background, I feel like seeing it from that perspective is just amazing. I feel like this book helped deepen my own connection to the plants and how I communicate with them and how I take care of them. Her writing just sort of inspired in me to take my plant caregiving to a different level. I'm thinking this book will be prominently featured in your new book and plant store. 
Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I don't have it in my store yet. And that's because, well, one thing I learned is that people are more interested in fiction. So I've kind of pulled back from the nonfiction in the book selling part for now. I think it is a book that I will be bringing in because I think it's one of those books that people need to have. But I did just notice through my first sale that people were definitely leaning more towards the fiction. And I think because it's summertime too, um, people want that maybe a little bit of a lighter read. Although this is not like an intense, heavy book. It goes very smoothly. I think some other nonfictions can feel a little bit heavy, but she's just a really great storyteller. It's not my book in Plant Shop, but I'm so interested in hearing what you observe as the seasons change and you get more experience with your pop-up shops and then your storefront. Readers are fascinating, Michelle. Probably frustrating when you really want them to pick up this book you love and they want a novel instead. Not that there aren't plenty of good novels, but if it's a book you love, you want them to read it no matter what. I feel like I've learned this maybe through my work as a therapist. You can't force people to do things that they're already to do. <laughs> so as much as I would love for people to read all of the books that I love, I can accept that they have their own reading life and they get to make their own oh choices. <laughs> so all the people who joke about how, what should I read next is basically bibliotherapy. You really are going to be a bibliotherapist. In a way, yeah. And I actually do talk a lot about books in my practice. I'll recommend books that I've read to clients all the time if I feel like it's relevant, maybe. And if they're readers, you know, so not all of my clients are readers, but some of them are readers. And they'll say, like, if you ever come across any books that you think I might like, um, let me know. And so I have. Now, I just called you an actual bibliotherapist, but the other kind of bibliotherapy yeah. is real. Yes, I've lived that. You know, for me, I feel like books, I don't want to say they saved my life, but finding books that reflected who I was definitely made my life better. When I was in college is when I discovered Chicana feminism. And I read this bridge called My Back by Sheree Moraga and Gloria Anzaldúa. And I call them my literary godmothers. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> once I found them, it was like a whole new world opened up to me that I didn't even know existed before. Like the trajectory of my life has changed just from finding those authors. And so I absolutely believe in the power of, the, of books and finding the right books. It sounds very full circle that now you will be the one on a larger scale putting books into the hands of readers. They don't know it yet, but they're lucky to have you. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Speaking of the right books, Michelle, this is when you get to tell me about a book that was not right for you. Yes. Did you I, I said get to. It might not feel like get to. I don't necessarily hate this book. It just wasn't for me. I find that I'm very discerning in my book choices. And so it's very rare that I read a book that I don't like because I tend to pick up books that I feel confident that I'll like, I guess. And so if it feels iffy to me, I usually just skip it unless it's coming highly recommended by someone else. And so the book that I didn't quite like or enjoy as much was The Perks of Being a Wallflower, a YA novel that came out quite a while ago. Someone gave it to me as a gift mm -hmm. and thought that I would like it, and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I finished it in like a day. It's a good story. You know, it's a quick moving story, but I just felt like there are certain YA books that I just don't like. And, and the ones that I don't like tend to be the ones that feel to me to be like emotionally manipulative. So it's almost like I'm being led to certain feelings. And then there was like a pile on of just like trauma and drama. And 
I think I just don't enjoy that. Mm -hmm. You know, I want a story and I want complexities in the characters and I want to feel feelings that are genuine to me. I don't want to be led to my feelings, I guess. And so I would say The Perks of Being a Wallflower is an example of a YA novel that wasn't for me, but then something like I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter is a YA novel that is for me. There's like this very thin line maybe between the two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I also really enjoy YA and I think that's a new genre. For a while, I stayed away from it. I think after I read The Perks of Being a Wallflower, I was kind of like, I think YA is just not for me. But then after I read I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, I was like, oh, maybe I can open up to this again. And then I've read We Set the Dark on Fire and Children of Blood and Bone and The Girl Who Drank the Moon. And I was like, all of these books are great. So I feel like I'm coming back around to YA. Now, it really makes absolutely no difference for our purposes today if I hate your loves and love your hates. But my personal phrase for emotionally manipulative is heavy-handed. And I hear what you're saying about Perks of Being a Wallflower. I read the movie tie-in edition two houses ago now. So we're going on like five, six years at least. I didn't see the ending coming. I, uh, yeah, I'll I'll just leave it there. (laughs) Apparently people really love this book. They do. They do. I didn't know it was like a beloved book until I think I looked on Goodreads after I read it and I was like, oh no, like people love this book and I guess they have quotes on it all over the internet and it just wasn't for me. I just don't like, yeah, I guess the heavy handed, it's not the same, but it almost reminds me of that like chicken soup for the soul type <laughs> book. <laughs> Which your target YA reader would never pick up. <laughs> Yeah, it just kind of has that same, I don't know, there's just something about it that it just feels like you want me to feel a certain way. And I guess I just don't like to be told how to feel. (laughs) What are you reading right now? Well, I just finished um, There Will Be No Miracles Here by Casey Uh Gerald. It's a memoir. It's one of those like mixed feelings. So I really like the author. I really like his message. I like his story. It just felt a little bit too long for me. There's a way in which I feel like he is maybe a little bit defensive about his childhood. So he's a a young Black gay man who was accepted to Yale, and he grew up in a very poor neighborhood in Dallas, I believe, Dallas, Texas. His parents had problems with drugs. I feel like the section around his childhood is a little bit defensive, and I understand. I mean, I think that people are reading this book, and he doesn't want people to judge his parents and like, you know, our relationship with our parents are very complex. And so I think he doesn't want people to just have a one-sided view of his Mm -hmm. relationship with his parents. But I almost feel like then they should have just cut that part out. Like they could have just not had it in the book. You know, they could have just done like a little one chapter summary of like, this was my upbringing. It was a little bit complicated, but here I am. Because I felt like once he got into his own adulthood, like once he's out of high school and he's sort of making his own decisions, his writing got a little bit more clear and it felt like he wasn't maybe being as protective because because these were choices that he had made for himself. But I enjoyed it. I just wish it had been maybe a little tighter with the editing for my taste. But memoir is another genre that I also really love. I especially love listening to audiobooks because I like it when they are telling their own story. I feel like it's like a conversation. (laughs) You're like, someone's just telling you the story Mm -hmm. of their life. This one I read on paper. And so I wonder if I would have had a different experience if I had done the audio version. I'm not even sure if he reads the audio. It would be interesting to see if I had a different relationship to it that way. 
But another memoir that I really loved, and then I did do it on audio, was Janet Mock's Redefining Realness. So Janet Mock is a transgendered woman who's mixed race. She's Hawaiian and Black. She does her own audio. She is a fantastic reader, and she does all the voices of her different family members. It's just so beautifully written. And interspersed in her memoir, she adds statistics around uh, what it's like to be a transgender woman in the United States. So I feel like she wove that in into her story in a beautiful way. It's a, it's a fantastic memoir. Michelle, as someone who is currently spending hours and hours agonizing over what books to put in your cart for your store and who believes in quality over quantity and who likes to read widely, what do you want to be different in your reading life or what do you want more of? What I would want to have more of, I think, are audiobooks. I am a one-at-a-time book reader, which slows me down quite a bit sometimes, I feel like. But if I'm reading a book on paper, then I can listen to a book on audio, and I think my brain won't get too confused. I I have to do one at a time because I I just feel like things get jumbled in my brain if I'm reading more than one book at the same time. Mm So I think I want to have a little bit more audiobooks in my life. And I struggle with that because my library has an app called Hoopla. And so I'm limited sometimes by what they have there. But I am also venturing or looking to venture out into, um, I've heard of a new audio app called Libro FM. And it's for independent bookstores who want to also mm-hmm. sell audiobooks. So I might be joining that soon so that I can try out different audiobooks and not just be limited by my Hoopla app. I really like Libro. And when you sign up, you get to choose which independent bookstore you want to benefit from your purchases, whether that's the one down the street from you or whether it's just a bookstore you've always dreamed of visiting 3,000 miles away. Yeah, that's what I love about it too, because... We don't have a lot of independent bookstores where I live. And so whenever I travel outside of my town, the first place I want to visit is an independent <laughs> bookstore. <laughs> and then I give them all my money. <laughs> then I go about my way. Relatable. Were you talking about relatable? <laughs> I'm nodding along. Yeah. So to be able to do that remotely is fantastic. Yes, it is. It's amazing. So you are very self-aware about what you like and what works for you. You chose Caramello, I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, and Braiding Sweetgrass. You wouldn't be sad if we had books that took you into other people's experiences, but also validated your own experience in life. Books that explore themes of identity and heritage could be very interesting. And you want a book that lets you draw your own conclusions and doesn't try to draw them for you. Yes, that is a wonderful summary. Okay. Michelle, I'm afraid that you will have read everything, even though you already said you haven't read everything. But are you ready to dive in? (laughs) I am ready, yes. What do you know about In the Time of Butterflies by Julia Alvarez? I have read that. (laughs) And what did you think? How was it? I did love it. Julia Alvarez is definitely one of my favorite authors. How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accent is one of those books that just, when I talk about identity and just relatability, it was one of those first books that I read that was like, this is someone who understands me and understands my family. I'm going to take that as a sign that I'm on the right track. Yes, absolutely. What do you know about Women with Big Eyes by Angeles Mastreda? I don't think I've heard of that book. I'm going to do my little happy dance now. This is a short story collection. I think you could almost call them vignettes. They are not connected in any kind of linear way, but they do share important common themes. 
These stories each focus on one of 39 women whose common bond is they are all from Puebla, Mexico. The title, Women with Big Eyes, comes from the fact that the people of Puebla were renowned for having eyes that both held and could perceive extraordinary beauty. Mastreda wrote this collection for her daughter. Her daughter was very sick and she wanted to give her daughter hope and make her feel empowered in her own resources, which seemed to be few at the time. And she thought she could do this by helping her daughter understand her history and her heritage and that she was part of a rich line of incredible and powerful females. Each of these 39 women are very different, yet each is entirely her own person. Even though their values and life choices may completely contradict each other, each stands proud and individually. The prose is really lovely. The imagery is super evocative. You can really picture what's being described in your head. I love the way that she focuses on ordinary moments. It makes them feel extremely important, but she also focuses on ones that you know are pivotal in each woman's life. The translation has been both described as serviceable and beautiful. So I'd be interested in hearing your opinion if you read both languages. Even for a reader such as myself who is unable to read it in the original, it really is lovely prose-wise. How does that sound to you? That sounds perfect. Exactly up my alley. I'm thrilled to hear it and also relieved. Reading in Spanish, it takes me a really, really long time. And I feel like I miss some of the nuance in the language. And so I'll probably read the English translated one. If you really liked it as well, like I can't imagine the translation's that bad. <laughs> as a native English speaker, if it sounded good to you, it'll sound good to me, I guess. Right, is what right, I mean. right. Because I have had the experience of reading a book and thought, I don't know if it's the... I feel like this happens most often with with dialogue, where I wonder, I don't know if the writing is clunky or the translation is, but this just doesn't have the cadence I would have expected or hoped for. And I didn't get that sense with this book. Okay. Yeah, that's good. The next book that I hope you haven't read is by Raquel Cepeda. It's called Bird of Paradise, How I Became Latina. I have not read that either. There's something about it that sounds familiar. Maybe it's the author's name. She's a music journalist by profession. I feel like Bookstagram is blowing up right now over Danny Shapiro's memoir, Inheritance, which has a full podcast behind it. And she's an excellent memoirist. And yet Raquel Cepeda's story is so similar. And it was published in 2013. This one is not as well known, even though I feel like the story is very similar. And that is in the sense that Cepeda's father suffers a heart attack he was very sick. It was not a good situation. And she was seriously shaken and thought, oh, I almost lost him. I want to figure out who I am and where I came from while there is still time. So she is spurred to take a DNA test. So readers who have read Danny Shapiro's Inheritance will know that that is the link in my head between the two books. Mm -hmm. She does take this DNA test. And what she wants to do is begin exploring her own identity, which even though she wants to find out more, even at the end of the book, she says, our identity, all of us, it's a work in progress. And that is okay. After she DNA tested her father, she learned that he had suffered trauma in his childhood. And she just had no idea that he had been through all that, that that was in her family. She also discusses in detail how on a scientific level, these findings and what it meant for her and her family and her identity were fascinating, but she didn't expect them to be rewarding on a spiritual level. So she talks about how her exploration of her family's biological roots combined the spiritual, the rational, the scientific, the intangibles as well. How does that kind of multifaceted exploration sound to you? 
That sounds perfect for me. Everything that just came out of your mouth, I'm like nodding and absolutely connecting to like something that I want to read. Okay. I'm glad to hear it. I hadn't thought about this one until you started talking about how much you loved YA. But for our third book today, I'm wondering about a new release by Elizabeth Acevedo, the author of The Poet X. It's called With the Fire on High, and it just came out. Is this a book you're familiar with? Yes, I just came in my delivery. Oh, did it really? (laughs) Yes, it's one of the books. I actually just opened it and the cover, I mean, I know that that's not the same as a story, but the cover is gorgeous. It's one of my favorite covers that I've seen probably in a really long time. (laughs) Have you read it yet or are you just ready to dive in? No, I just bought it to sell, but maybe I'll keep it to read. Maybe you could do both. I don't know how booksellers feel about that. (laughs) But I do think it has a lot of elements that are reflected in your favorites. Our YA heroine is a girl who's Afro-Latina. Her father was Puerto Rican. As she put it, her whole family is straight from the Carolinas black. She lives in Philadelphia and she loves food and cooking and her family. Her life is very difficult right now because though she is in high school, she also is a mother of a two-year-old baby girl that she conceived during her freshman year. And she gets as much help as the people who love her can provide, but it's a lot for a teenage girl. This is a little bit coming of age. There's lots of themes of exploration of identity, but something that really makes this book stand out in a really unusual way is the almost magical way that she views cooking. She loves food, she loves spices, and she feels like the effect that what she makes for people has on them goes beyond the rational. Uh, It's just, it's so fun. And something that I think you will appreciate is that in the process of writing this book, Acevedo was determined to have the story feel validating to people who live some of the experience that Acevedo was writing about fictionally. So she wanted to make sure that she represented the teenage mother experience accurately. And she wanted to make sure she represented living in Philadelphia accurately. That sounds great too. I mean, it's definitely a book that's on my radar. I actually have it physically with me right now in the next room. (laughs) Michelle, the books we talked about were Women with Big Eyes by Angeles Mastreda, Bird of Paradise, How I Became Latina by Raquel Cepeda, and With the Fire on High by Elizabeth Acevedo. Of those titles, what do you think you'll read next? Probably Fire on High, because it's right here. <laughs> can't argue with that it logic. Can't, it can't get any easier than that. I could pick it up right now. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I can't wait to hear what you think. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was amazing. I feel like you know me. (laughs) Oh, well, I can't wait to confirm that in person when I come visit your plant and bookstore. (laughs) Anytime. You are welcome. Anytime. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Michelle today, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at what should I read next podcast.com slash 188, and it's where you will find the full list of titles we talked about today. Next week, best friends Brenna and Ryan join me for a literary gossip session. Here's a sneak peek. 
So I'm like sitting in this little like quote unquote office that doesn't actually reach the ceiling. So everybody can still hear what I'm saying. And I like had prepared what I thought were really thoughtful questions. And he just like did not want to answer any type of interpretation or question. (laughs) And normally those interviews take like 20 to 30 minutes. He only talked to me for seven minutes. Uh And three times during that seven minutes said, are we through yet? (gasps) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. If you're not on the list, you can fix that now by visiting whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly delivery. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or check out my books I'd rather be reading and reading people for yourself or a friend. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Happy reading, everyone.